once again, God's people chose darkness over light, death over life. Why? What were they thinking? The God who rescued them from slavery, who lit up the wilderness in a flaming tornado of glory, was not the Savior they wanted. The God who ushered them into a lush land bursting with abundance. The one who sat enthroned in their midst on the mountain of Zion was no longer the king they desired. Abraham's descendants were supposed to be the means by which God drew the exiled nations back into his presence for blessing. But instead, they pined after the false impotent gods of the lost nations. So God gave them over to their longings and had them carried off to the east, down to a dark place filled with dust, danger, and death. My name is Kenneth Paget, and this is the Story of God podcast presented by Wolfbane Books. If the biblical story testifies to one thing, it is this. God is good, and his loyal love is everlasting. But there is another, sadder reality that emanates from the pages of Scripture. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. So says Yahweh through the prophet in Jeremiah 17.9. Back in episode 3, I said that the human heart is, above all else, an organ of worship, and that it was originally designed to find its deepest satisfaction in God Himself. But we all know that our broken hearts are far too easily satisfied. There are a million lesser things vying for our affections. And whenever we allow one of those things to be our deepest joy, we have fashioned an idol and placed it in the holiest place of our hearts, a place that can only be truly satisfied in the triune God. Whether you consider yourself religious or not, whatever sits there is the object of your worship and devotion. Hold on to this sad reality as we move further into the story. In the last episode, we saw Abraham's descendants ascend from Egypt and enter the Promised Land. Heading west, they passed through the waters of the Jordan and eventually made their way to the mountain of Yahweh, that holy hill in the center of the universe, Mount Zion, where God sits enthroned in the midst of his people. The holy city Jerusalem was beginning to look a lot like the garden city we envisioned as the goal of creation, the city that Abraham looked forward to all those generations ago. God's covenant faithfulness is impossible to miss. Indeed, God is good. King Solomon, the son of David, was the one who built the temple palace. Everything was coming together. 
Surely the scattering at Bavel in Genesis 11 was about to be reversed. The Israelites would go out as missionaries, and the nations would forsake their false gods and come streaming into the holy city for blessing. But that's not how the story goes, is it? No. After Solomon builds the temple, Yahweh appears to him and says this in 1 Kings 9. I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built. I put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and with uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my ordinances and my judgments, Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, A man will not be cut off for you from upon the throne of Israel. If ever you or any of your descendants turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my ordinances that I have set before you, And if you go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then I will cut off Israel from the face of the land that I have given to them. Even the house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast away from my face. And Israel shall become a proverb and an object of taunting among all the peoples. This house shall become a heap of of ruins. All those passing by will be appalled by it and hiss. And they will say, On what account did Yahweh do this to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they have forsaken Yahweh, their God, who brought their ancestors out from the land of Egypt, and they embraced other gods and bowed down to them and served them. Therefore, Yahweh brought on them all of this disaster. Only a few chapters after Yahweh fills the temple in 1 Kings 8, Solomon is worshiping the false gods of other nations. After his death, Israel is not bringing the nations together, but is itself ripped apart. The northern ten tribes break away in apostasy, forsaking Jerusalem and the temple. Judah and Benjamin remain under the rule of the house of David and worship on Zion, but their faithfulness to Yahweh ebbs more than flows. The northern apostate tribes go by the name Israel, and the southern tribes go by Judah, and the people living there will eventually be called Jews. Israel Those northern tribes don't last long before they are conquered by Assyria and scattered and exiled. Now, I should say here that there is simply too much history to tackle in this episode. My main goal is to give you a broad brush stroke of the theology of God's presence as we close out the Old Testament. This is the sad truth. God's people forsook his word. The Torah, God's instruction, sometimes called the law, was ignored. 
To put it into the language of the passage from Jeremiah that I just read, the descendants of Abraham did not keep Yahweh's commandments or ordinances. They lusted after the gods of the nations and bowed down to idols and served them. This is pretty much worst-case scenario. God's voice could be heard reverberating around the highways and byways of Jerusalem, but the people refused to listen to the prophets. After he sent warnings, he began to tell the people what was coming, something they thought was impossible. Exile. Just as God said to Solomon, if they continued to turn a deaf ear to Yahweh and go after the false gods of the nations, he would kick them out of the land and allow his house, the temple, to become a heap of ruins. In Ezekiel chapter 10, Yahweh's glory lifts off of the temple. This once great earthly throne of the king of heaven is abandoned. The Babylonians come from the east and plunder the temple city before utterly destroying it. In Jeremiah 4, God likens the destruction of the land to decreation. He says that the land is tohu vavohu, wild and waste. The lights of the heavens are blotted out. The mountains shake. There are no people, no animals or birds. The lushness of the land is made into dusty desert. This is extreme language because there are cosmic realities on the line. Abraham's family was meant to reverse the scattering curse and usher the families of the earth into God's presence for blessing. God had been so good to them, rescuing them from bondage in Egypt, tabernacling in their midst as they traversed the wilderness, bringing them into a lush, Edenic land where they would dwell together with him. But they chose to dishonor God ignore his will, refuse his good ways, and chase after the impotent gods fashioned by ignorant people. And they are hauled off down and east to Babylon, where they will once again be captive in a foreign land. Perhaps this creation or decreation language in Jeremiah 4 lets us know that we might have seen this coming. Tell me if you've ever heard this story. God creates a people for himself. He places them in a lush land and dwells with them. They disobey him and are exiled out of the lush land to the east, ultimately ending up in the city of Bavel. That's right. The story of Adam and Eve and the story of Abraham's family are the same story. Back in episode 3, I mentioned that I would be calling Babel or Babel by its Hebrew name, Bavel. The reason I do this is because when you get to the prophets and the exile narrative, you run into this eastern kingdom called Babylon. But what English readers miss is that Babel and Babylon are the same exact word in Hebrew. They are both called Bavel. So when you read the Hebrew text, there is no mistaking the parallel stories of Adam and Israel. The story of Abraham's family is bookended by this wicked city. The very people God chose to reverse Bavel are now ripped from their land and trapped in Bavel. 
because of their own arrogance and prideful disobedience. Now, one may wonder if the Old Testament is set up perfectly to be a tragedy in the classic sense of the word. It has all the makings of a failed rescue. That cursed city of Bavel, the city of man, tries with all of its might to prevent the coming of the city of God. But as I mentioned, in this tragic story, God has been speaking through his prophets. Yes, they pleaded with the people and gave them warnings, followed by strong proclamations of coming judgment through exile. But there was also another word that passed through the lips of the prophets, a word of life, hope, restoration, new creation. The prophets regularly speak of God's covenant faithfulness. Even as the people are carted off into exile, God tells them that it isn't over. He will restore not only them, but the whole world. God doesn't abandon his plans. He wants a global garden city where he will dwell in the midst of his people forever and ever. And when they squander it through disobedience, he chooses a family to be the means of redeeming the people and restoring his original goal. But when that family squanders it through disobedience, he tells them that he will redeem them and bring his plan of redemption to fruition. Though it may look impossibly broken, God's people in captivity can really only mean one thing. A second exodus must be coming. God is good and his loyal love is everlasting. As the people are stripped of everything they held dear, as the idols are plucked from their land and their hearts, God forces them to rely on the most sure thing in the universe, his covenant faithfulness. When it feels like God is further away than ever before, those who know God know better. This episode of the Story of God podcast was presented by Wolfbane Books. Please visit us at wolfbanebooks.com or on social media at wolfbanebooks.